Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. On this episode of Jill on Money, we're talking credit. Credit scores can only be calculated based on the data that they have. And credit bureaus don't collect income. They don't collect bank account data. They only collect information from your creditors. So if that's frustrating for those who feel like they're financially responsible, but feel like the credit system is stacked against them. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. We're presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. You know you hate it. You know you love it. It's all about credit. Today, we've got a great guest. Her name is Jerry Detweiler. You've probably seen her around because she is a credit expert, and we are talking credit. So here's our interview with Jerry Detweiler. You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger. Jerry Detweiler, I feel like I've known you for 10 years, but this is the first time we've met face-to-face. I think it is. It's exciting. (laughs) It's amazing. Uh, Okay, we start the program with a very easy question. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is the best money or career decision that you have made? The best career decision I ever made was to go from being an independent contractor to a full-time employee. I loved being a contractor. It gave me a lot of flexibility, and it allowed me to work with a lot of different clients. But becoming a full-time employee gave me access to great benefits. It helped with the big chunk of health insurance costs, and it allowed me to save more for retirement and also to really build my career with a company. So uh, it's, it's a tough call between those two options, but I think that was a really good decision for me. So tell us a little bit about your career, because you have gone from a couple different places. So how did you get into this business? I fell into this business after college, living in Washington, D.C., fell into a job with a consumer advocacy group. And there we were the only group that was just talking about credit. And so if you wanted a low interest rate credit card in those days, you'd send us four dollars to the nonprofit group. We'd send you a list of issuers, mostly in Arkansas, that offered low interest rate credit cards. I got to work on legislation that gave consumers free credit reports, gave us disclosure on consumer credit. And eventually, over time, I've written five books. And my latest book was Finance Your Own Business, which is designed to help those who are self-employed and entrepreneurs build strong business credit and get better financing. And what's interesting, Jill, because you've been around this money space for a while, is that when I used to talk about credit scores, people were kind of vague about it because there wasn't much disclosure, there wasn't much access. And now I'm talking about business credit and I feel like it's deja vu because there are no regulations that cover business credit and a lot of business owners don't even know it exists. So it's really a fun time to be involved with it. And there's so many people basically going into business for themselves, even if it's like the beginning of a side hustle that expands into something else. So why is it so important for people to establish business credit rather than rely on their personal credit? I think business owners need both. So ideally, you want to have strong personal and business credit. The Federal Reserve just released their latest small business credit survey, and they found that 14% of business owners said they relied just on business credit when getting financing. 41% relied on business and personal credit, and then the rest relied on personal credit. So you see both are very important, but the research we've done at NAV and elsewhere has found that most business owners just have no clue this exists. They're not checking, and they don't even know if there's a potential issue or problem. So how do you check your own business credit? 
Well, there are three major business credit bureaus that compile these reports done in Bradstreet. Experian has a commercial division and Equifax has a commercial division. You can certainly go to those bureaus and pay for a report, but the reason NAV was established was to provide free access to that data to small business owners. So we're the first site where you can go sign up for a free account and get uh, see your free business and personal credit in one dashboard. So this is essentially like annualcreditreport.com, but for business, in other words, because it's free. Yeah. And, and you get one a year? Is that what you would, or can you go back as much as you'd like? It's more like a credit karma for a small business because we update it on a monthly basis. And then unlike annual credit report, which is just disclosing the data to you, our eventual goal is to help you find financing. So we use that data to help match you to financing offers. Then you can evaluate what's right for you and, and decide which ones you want to apply for. How do you establish business credit if you've never had it before? You're just like a human being walking around. Like, let's say I'm a teacher and then all of a sudden I you know, on the side, I do consulting. How do I establish business credit? Well, there's two things I would recommend to get started. One is to get a business credit card in the name of your business. And interestingly, you don't have to have an established business to get a business credit card because they're going to make the decision based on your personal credit scores and income from any source. That could be your day job. It could be your spouse's income if they would kick it if you fell behind on the bills. And then that business credit card most likely reports to at least one of the major business credit reporting agencies and often multiple. The other way is to establish accounts with companies that report to business credit. And here's where it's very different from personal. With personal credit, you and I get a mortgage or a car loan or a credit card. It's going to report to all three of the consumer Mm. reporting agencies, right? Not so with business credit. The data consistency just isn't there. So you have to be proactive about about making sure you have accounts that report because ultimately a credit score is based on how you've handled credit. And so if there's nothing reporting, there's no credit score that can be created. So another simple tip is to use vendor accounts. And these are accounts, uh, companies like Uline, Quill, Granger, Suma Office Supplies. They're trying to get you to use their products in your business and they'll extend what's called net 30 terms, which means you have 30 days to pay. They don't check personal credit. They don't report to personal credit, but they do report to business credit. And so I have a list of those at just at nav.com slash vendors, V-E-N-D-O-R-S. And you can uh, build credit easily with those kinds of references. How'd you get involved with NAV? I actually, this is this is kind of a fun story. I interviewed the CEO of NAV for my latest book, Financial Own Business. I kind of watched what they were doing. And the book took a little while to come out because we were waiting for the Jobs Act rules to be released. And we kept waiting and waiting and finally said, we're just going to publish this book. And I got back in touch with everybody in the book to fact check. As you know, there's a long process to a book coming out. And I got in touch with them and I said, wow, I really like what they're doing. And when the book came out, I contacted them thinking they might want to, you know, offer a few books to their customers. And I ended up with with a full-time job. And and so this is full-time. How do you sort of explain the the idea to a business person who's like, I'm just using my personal credit? What's the downside of that? Two things. First of all, I explain that with personal credit, if you are using personal credit, it will impact your personal credit score. So I was in a workshop with an advisor who told me about a client. She had some financing that fell through for her business at the last minute. She maxed out her personal credit cards, paid everything on time, no late payments. But the debt 
the debt on her credit cards brought down her credit scores. And so eventually she was able about a year later to refinance with a, an SBA guaranteed loan, which great loans for small business. She paid off her personal credit cards and her credit scores jumped 125 points mm. as the result of getting that debt off her personal credit. So one thing I'd say is that debt will affect your personal credit even if you pay it on time. So that's something you want to watch out for. The second thing I say is that business fraud and identity theft is also a growing problem. Mm -hmm. I was at a conference last year where a woman came up to me. She's a freelance, a financial freelance writer for many, many years. She said, yeah. She said, my relatives started getting calls about a credit card that I had supposedly opened in the name of my business and wasn't paying. And you know, Jill, that in the personal credit world, debt collectors can't call your relatives. They There's very strict rules about mm -hmm. what they can do. Not on the business side. So it was like her ex-husband's sister or oh something. Oh, my God. <laughs> Horrible. So, I, so fraud is the other reason. So even if you aren't proactively worried about borrowing at the moment, I would say monitoring your business credit is important. And especially now, now that we have the ability as consumers to lock down our personal credit, the thieves always go to wherever it's easiest. So you can you freeze your business credit? You cannot. You can't freeze it. You really? can't even place a fraud alert. So you as a business owner want to monitor it, monitor it just to make sure there's nothing unusual that pops up that could be a sign of fraud. That's so interesting. Do you think that that's going to be a problem that you can't freeze your business credit? Well, I do think that there's more and more attention now to business credit. There was a, a story in the Wall Street Journal a few years ago showing there's a higher error rate on business credit than on personal credit. And my philosophy or my theory about that is that the reason there are more mistakes is because business owners aren't checking. Oh, I see. You and I are the only ones who can look at our credit reports and say, yeah, that's correct or no, that's not. And right. If you're not checking, it could be wrong and no one's catching that. What are the kinds of problems that people are running into if their business credit runs afoul? One of the big problems is that the most popular type of financing these days, or one of the best types of financing these days, is SBA guaranteed loans. So loans that are guaranteed by the Small Business Administration. The SBA doesn't make loans, they guarantee loans, and you go to a financial institution to get that loan. Their most popular program is called the 7A program, and it's used for working capital and for refinancing debt and for all kinds of purposes. And that particular loan requires a pre-screen of a FICO score that's been developed just for small business. It's hmm. called the FICO SBSS, or Small Business Scoring Service. That score, Jill, can take into account your personal credit of you as the owner, and it can even take into account multiple owners' personal credit data, plus the business credit of the business and use those two data sets. It can even add in financial information to create that score. And the SBA requires a minimum score of 140 out of 300 in order to pass the pre-screen. Many lenders want to see 160 and above. So you asked the question about, you know, what's, a, what's an important reason? An important reason is that if you build strong business credit and you maintain strong personal credit, you're going to have more financing options available at better interest rate and more favorable terms. If that SBA is taking into account both your business and your personal, if you have a partner with rotten personal credit history, 
is that going to harm you? It can, absolutely. And I actually, this happens all the time. Someone with low credit has a great business idea or is in business, brings on a partner to try to bring up their credit, but they don't disclose that to the lender. And that's a huge no-no. If the lender finds out you're trying to hide a business partner, that can literally sink your loan. And it's not an unusual scenario. So as you look forward, what do you hope happens with the small business credit and scoring industry? What do you hope is the sort of the next phase of after you get you're going to you're in education right now. This is early days in a lot of respects. What do you want to happen next? First thing I want is for people to check. I want business owners to be aware of this. I want them to understand that it's not that difficult to build business credit. It just takes a little bit of effort, a few right moves, and you can build strong business credit. And then ultimately, our goal at NAV is to help them get good financing so their business succeeds. I want to point out one, just one huge glaring hole right now in the business credit space, and that is that there is no requirement on the federal level, and only one state is making moves here, California, to disclose the cost of business financing as an APR. Mm. So they disclose it as a factor rate or they use all kinds of creative language. There was a story in Forbes about a hair salon owner who got a a term sheet for financing to expand her hair salon to a new location. It said 15% specified percentage. So in her head, she's thinking APR, right? Right. Right. You translate it immediately. Immediately. It was put into a calculator and discovered her APR was over 4,000%. Oh, my God. That's insane. Who would be the best regulatory body to prevent that from happening? Not CFPB, would it? Well, it really would take an act of Congress. So California has just passed the first Truth Truth and Lending Act for small business. They're still in the implementation phase, so we'll see what it looks looks like. But there is some interest uh, in, in, you know, regulators around the country. So it could happen at a state level or a federal level. But either way, I just want small business owners to have a fair playing field. You know, to to know their data, to be able to make good choices about lending and to find uh, loans that are sustainable and help their business grow and don't sink them. This is Jill on Money. We'll get back to our interview in just a second. Now, if you've been listening to this show, you probably recognize that it's me, Jill, Jill Schlesinger. I'm also a certified financial planner, a CBS News business analyst, and yes, the host of this podcast called Jill on Money. Okay, today I am here to tell you about our sponsor, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Despite the taboo, money is not only personal, it is social. Marcus serves up financial tips, insights, and inspiration to help you get better about your finances. And you can join in on the conversation by following at Marcus by Goldman Sachs on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or at Marcus on Twitter. Every follow is a financial step in the right direction. You can money. And now back to our interview with credit expert Jerry Detweiler. So I know that NAV does more of the small business stuff, but we're hearing all about these new credit scores that are being introduced by all the big three. What are these about? Do you think that they are going to be widely adopted and help more people gain access to credit? First of all, I think business and personal credit is important for entrepreneurs. So regardless of whether you're in business or not, you need to have strong personal credit. And these new scoring models and these new 
ways to calculate credit scores are very intriguing for me because many people have complained over the years, and I've been in this space for a long time, that, hey, why doesn't my income count? Why doesn't my bank account count? This doesn't make sense that I don't get credit for being financially responsible. And these new scoring models will allow you to add in, I guess they're overlays on scoring models because they're using existing scoring models. What they're doing is they allow you to, to get credit for other types of financial relationships. So with Experian Boost, you can link your bank account and they will take into account utility and cell phone bills and how you've paid those bills in order to help calculate your credit score. With UltraFICO, which is also currently offered in conjunction with Experian, you can link your bank account and get credit for basically how long you've had your account and whether you're keeping good balances in your account, whether you're avoiding very low balances, etc. So you get some credit for the money in your bank account. What I really like about these new offerings, uh, they're under the consumer's control. So many people feel like credit is out of their control. We can't stop someone from reporting. But with these new models, you can turn it on and you can turn it off. And only positive information is helping you get a stronger score. It's not hurting you. There's another company out there, Bloom.co, which is doing something similar with blockchain and enabling, especially millennials, to provide banking account data and other data to help them get approved for financing. As we move in this direction, I think there's going to be more and more opportunity for us as consumers to take the positive parts of our financial life and help them contribute to our credit scores and in turn, hopefully help us get better interest rates because that's ultimately the goal when we borrow. The old FICO score is still predicated on do you pay your bills on time? And there are other parts of it. But generally speaking, the thesis is if you pay your bills on time, you are going to actually be a better risk than someone who doesn't. I had heard that they were taking into account maybe how often you move, that that was going to be another metric. Was that dropped off? And if so, I wonder, is that really relevant or not? It's not a major part of your credit score. And it used to be back in the day, even whether you had a phone in your name or your how long you've been at your address. And certainly with an application, when you fill out an application, you put how long you've been at your address and that has some impact. But it's not a major factor in your credit scores. The major factors still are the, how you pay your bills, the debt you carry, your uh, age of your credit, inquiries, and how much credit you have mix, available, right? Mm-hmm, your mix of credit. Yes. Yeah, so those main, main five factors. But traditionally, what you're pointing to is that credit scores can only be calculated based on the data that they have. And credit bureaus don't collect income. They don't collect bank account data. They only collect information from your creditors. So if you don't have much credit, and I'll give you a perfect example. My dad, who's super, super responsible, got a letter from his auto insurer saying he didn't get the best discount because of his credit. And it wasn't there was anything negative on there. It's just his house was paid for, his car was paid for, all he had was a couple of credit cards. And so so he could have had $5 million in the bank and it would not have had an impact on that. Correct. And so that's frustrating for those who feel like they're financially responsible, but feel like the credit system is stacked against them. Is it still the case that if you cancel a credit card, it works against you? 
if you cancel a credit card, that amount, that balance will no longer be uh, available when your debt usage is calculated. So it could make you look like you're closer to your limits overall on your credit cards. And yes, I've seen big swings, especially for younger people with lower, uh, with less credit history. I've seen swings of 40 points in a month when that debt usage, when the balance compared to the limit starts to creep up there. So it can have a big impact. If somebody uh, gets a debt released, so you're lucky enough to be as part of those students at Morehouse and you, oh, I got my $75,000 college loan is now paid off by this guy. How does that impact your credit? Probably won't have a big impact because student loan debt is installment debt. And when your debt is calculated, it's really looking at your revolving debt, like your credit cards. So I've talked to folks who have $150,000 in student loan debt. They're worried it's hurting their credit scores. And what I tell them, hey, if you pay on time, it's not going to hurt your credit. But if you don't. But if you don't, if you're late, then it's a problem. But you can even go into a a alternative repayment plan like income-based repayment and make those lower payments, and that still would not hurt your credit score as long as you meet that obligation every single month. There are some who fear that expanding the rules about who can gain access to credit will allow people to get into trouble. What do you think about that? I think it's very possible to get into trouble as it is right now, right? And I know someone who has 82 credit cards. (laughs) 82? That's about 80 more than anybody needs. (laughs) To play the rewards game. And they have plenty of room for trouble in today's credit system. So I don't think that necessarily goes hand in hand. But what I do see is that younger people, older people who are no longer part of the credit system, and people who are new to the country often find it very frustrating to break in and to establish credit. And the idea is to find ways, if they are responsible, to give them credit. So what happens when they do something new, like this Experian Boost or Ultra FICO, they will test it. The lenders will test it. They'll see how those customers perform before they roll it out. So it's nothing that's happening overnight. It's not going to change the world today. They'll test it. But if it works, then we'll see it become more commonplace. Do you still think that the rule about, you know, your credit being dinged for seven years after bankruptcy, do you think that that should be a shorter period in this day and age? Or do you think that seven years is probably the right amount of time? It's seven to 10 years, depending on the type of bankruptcy that you filed. And I actually, I spent probably three months trying to figure out where that seven years came from. And finally, through some research into the congressional record, I figured figured out the, the industry wanted 10 years. Um, some of the legislators wanted five years, so they compromised. So, Should be seven and a half years, right? <laughs> it's just seven years. Uh, I, I think you, you can reestablish credit even with a bankruptcy in your credit file. And that's that's often a misconception that consumers have. They feel like if this negative information is on there, but most credit scoring models are most interested in the most recent 24 months. And once information gets older, as long as you're managing things well now, you will very likely see your credit scores go up. Do you still like the idea of maybe if you've just had a a horrible credit event or you've got a ding to your record, using a secured credit card to help build up some of that credit without maybe falling into a bad habit again? Yeah, I like two things for for folks who are trying to rebuild or build credit for the first time and having trouble. One is a secured credit card. So that's where you put a deposit. You get the deposit back. It's not a prepaid card. Prepaid debit cards do not report. They don't help your credit. So it's just a security deposit 
uh, use it like any other credit card and uh, build credit. The other is a credit builder account. And a credit builder account is where you borrow a savings account, you pay it off, and when you've paid it off, you get the money in the savings account. The beauty of the two approaches is that a secured card is a revolving account, a credit builder account is an installment account, and you get a better credit score for having a mix of credits. So you can accomplish two things with those two accounts if you can come up with the money to do them. If you buy, if you buy, if you engage with a company and you're doing, say, uh, a secured card for your kid going to college, and you put the secured card in the kid's name, you have to co-sign, I guess, right, as the rule. Will that kid start to build a credit history instantly or will still be on your record? You can help your child with a secured card, but you could also help them like I helped my daughter who's in college and has an excellent credit score by adding her as an authorized user to two of my accounts. But if she screws up, it'll hurt you. Well, I'd have to pay the bills. Right. If she screws up, yeah. I'm responsible. I'm fortunate she's frugal, but you're right. That is a risk. However, you don't even have to give them the card. You can keep the card. I suppose they could try to find a workaround and get hold of it. And Jill, when I was in college, my mother gave me her credit card to go to the store to buy a dress for an event, and I bought a dress, a purse, shoes, and jewelry. (laughs) Well, I mean, how would you be limited to just the dress? I understand that decision. Yeah, You want the whole package. Exactly. I've got to look good. (laughs) So there is some risk with that, but it is a fast, because what happens with, with, with the authorized user is that she gets my entire account history. So she has, on two of my credit cards, she has the entire account history for those accounts, and it's long as I pay them on time and keep the debt low, her credit score is benefiting. Now she's getting ready to, she's going to be a senior soon. I'll have her get her own credit card. She needs to graduate to that, but it is a way to start. Do you think it is important for parents to really educate their kids around credit, credit score, credit history before they go to college? Oh, absolutely. When do when should we start doing that? I think it's great to start it in the probably, it depends on your child, right? But the 14, 15 year old age range because they have so many misconceptions. They see us pull out the card, but they don't see us pay the bills. Mm -hmm. They don't see the interest on the account. They have no idea what interest means. That's what got me in trouble with my first credit card is I didn't know that 22.8% interest on that card meant that that minimum payment wasn't paying down the balance. It's funny. We got a lot of um, feedback from people around student loans where they feel like the student loan paydowns, which show you those minimum amounts, are also not reflecting how expensive it is to hold this debt outstanding, even though it may only be five, six, seven percent, that you make the minimum payment, you may have fifty thousand, now you have fifty-three thousand ten years later. So why is it that student loans don't have to do that? Well, student loans, you know, the the repayment period varies. I think the biggest trap, but a 10-year repayment period is a standard time period. And I just was in a workshop where they talked about how we learn algebra, but no one teaches us to calculate the time value of money, right? No one teaches us how to calculate interest. No one teaches us that when you're on that repayment plan and you get your payment dropped because you can't afford to pay more, that means you're actually going deeper in debt. There are efforts around the country to improve financial literacy, but parents do have to play a role in this. And I think one way we play a role is by being honest about things that we've done and the way we've messed up. So my daughter knows that my first credit card was a pretty much a disaster because I didn't know. And I and my parents were very frugal, but it just wasn't something we talked about. So be honest and be open and talk often with them about money so they get a, at least a sense of, 
what some of the challenges you've experienced are. Maybe someday they're going to remember that. We started the interview and I said, what was the best money or career decision you made? And you said it was going from being a contractor to a full-time employee. That was your answer. Yes. I'm going to hold you to it. Okay. What was the worst money or career decision you've made? I made a really, really stupid money decision. Uh, <laughs> I felt a little bit better when I just read the book Bad Blood about Theranos because I thought all these smart people lost money on what looked like a really good idea. Yes, of course. <laughs> I invested in a, a very early stage startup. I was making a semi-automatic rivet gun. A friend of a friend kind of introduction. I lost, basically lost several, several thousands of dollars on that deal and it was just just dumb. I shouldn't, didn't have any business getting into something I didn't know better. You're listening to Jill on Money. It's time for the Marcus Minute, presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Jerry Detweiler, you're in the hot seat. Okay. You ready to go? Yes. What's one word to describe your relationship with money? Excited. What's always worth spending on? Experiences. What's the dumbest thing you've spent money on? An RV. What sound comes to mind when you get a paycheck? Ka-ching. Whose face would you put on the dollar bill? Janet Yellen. First Fed chairwoman. It's your last day on earth and you have $100 in your pocket. What would you do with it and why? I'd give it away for sure because I like to be generous. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Jerry Detweiler. Don't forget, we drop new episodes of Jill on Money every Tuesday and Thursday. And sometimes we sneak in a Friday bonus. If you'd like to subscribe to the program, just go to Apple, Stitcher, Radio.com, Google Play, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcast. If you'd like to get on the air with us, just send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Telercio is our executive producer. We're distributed by Cadence 13, and the show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs.